0: side prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God. The steps, recovery, the big book. What's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live in your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alright, so we're uh, when there's a solution and uh, we spent uh two uh, sessions on this to get to the point where um, it says uh, if you uh, want to know how they have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body, if you've read the book, if you've read Doctor's Opinion, Bill's story, and you want to know how they have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, know. Yeah? Uh, I think that would be still true today if we didn't have the 12 steps in AA. That, you know, but, but in modern medicine, we would have figured out a way. But uh, we don't have a way of, of re- to be recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. And if you are an alcohol on my own, right? And this was written to give them the plan of recovery, the program of action, right, and the solution. So they could have a spiritual experience and they wouldn't have a hopeless condition of mind and body, right? (coughs) So if you're an alcoholic and wants to get over it, so that's an important question. Do you wanna get over it? Are you done? Have you had enough? Are you completely willing to do whatever it takes? You may already be asking, what do I have to do? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, when I came here, I didn't know what I had to do, but I was willing to do whatever they said. And I've stayed pretty willing since that time, since that moment when I was completely defeated. And uh, that's a gift, I think. But you stay willing by staying connected to your powerlessness and how your life is unmanageable if you run it. And and it's a gift because it keeps you humble. And if you're humble, you keep seeking God. And if you're not humble, well, then you don't need God. Now, I get humbled a lot. Because I'll manage my life, and I'll get disturbed. I'll say, wow, that was stupid. <laughs> right? Did it again. But I try not to stay there very long. And it, it, you, you, you. So God disciplines us, it says on page 88. And what he means is God humbles us. He humbles us when we're away from him. So what do I have to do? So here's the key line. It's the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. It specifically tells you what you have to do if you wanna recover from a hopeless condition of mind and body. It doesn't tell you that this is the only way or whatever. AA doesn't get in arguments about that. But if you wanna get over it, they'll tell you exactly what they did. And it says, we shall tell you what we have done. So if I do what they've done, I should have what they have. Now, I have to do what they did specifically. I can't do, I can't make part of their cake and expect it to taste like their cake, right? And when I start adding my own recipe or changing it, then it becomes my, my cake. And that won't work. It has to be their their recipe, and I have to follow their recipe. And and a lot of people don't understand that. Some people say, "Take what you like and leave the rest." You've ever heard that or something? Yeah, that that's great. That'll get you right in the bar. Uh, you you have to just understand that my plan will never work. And I and AA just says, we don't we don't know that something else won't work for you. But if you don't have a plan, and you're completely desperate, do this and tell us what happened. And then you carry that message to somebody else. And then you and then that's what we're doing tonight, right? And we shall tell you what we have done. Before going into a detailed discussion, it may be well to summarize some points as we see them. So they want to summarize why we have to do what they did they know we're going to fight it and then they have a whole another chapter telling us why we have to do what they did because we have no defense against the first drink and more about alcoholism. And then in in uh, we agnostics, we start to work step two, because we realize that we have to have a power to live and it can't be us. So that's how it's laid out. How many times have people said to us I could take it or leave it alone? Why can't he? Well, why can't we? Because we have an obsession of the mind, and we have an allergy of the body, and we're spiritually separated from God, and we can't live life over, and we get irritable, restless, discontented, and we seek the ease and comfort of alcoholism. Don't feel bad, Chris. <laughs> that was a message. Was that telling me to stop? No. <laughs> that was a joke. All right, stop it. Uh, <laughs> We're in a good mood today because the Chiefs haven't played yet. <laughs> Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his beer. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wants. You see, they don't understand the disease. People don't understand this. And and so we have to be understanding when an alcoholic drinks again, that's. We understand why, instead of gossiping about them or saying, looking down or boasting that we got something that they don't have or whatever now. It's but for the grace of God go I. The doctor told me if you ever drink again, it would kill him. But that won't work either, right? Fear won't work and self-knowledge won't work. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. And they're not powerless. They have control over choosing to drink and control over when to stop drinking, which we will never get, right? We're never going to get uh, power of choice or power of control, except through God, right? And we don't have to worry about power control because we have power of choice through God so we won't drink, so it won't matter. Because if we take alcohol, we will lose control, right? So we never regain really control, but we have the power of choice through God. And remember, we seek the power that gives us choice. I never have the power today on my own. I have to seek the power that gives me the power to choose A drinkers have little trouble giving up liquor entirely if they have a good reason for it. They could take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. And he can stop or moderate on his own power. Now, Joe and Charlie make the point that they're probably hard drinkers in AA. And they, can, they come here for a sufficient reason to stop and they can stop, they don't have to work the steps because they can stop. They can stop, now that doesn't mean they have emotional sobriety, but they can stop drinking Uh, on their own power. But what is the real alcoholic? Any real alcoholics in here? He may start off a moderate drinker, whatever that is. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Now, do any of you really wanna control how much you drink when you start to drink? Really? No? Not really. If we drink, we don't want to control it. But you can try to control it and do that test, but that won't work, right? Here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. Now, I don't know if I agree with this paragraph. You'll see why. He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He's always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world. You let him drink for a day and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. Now, I don't agree with that. Uh, I'm certainly not. Um, but they, uh, they don't want to be too hard on the people reading this book for the first time, right? But we know that if somebody saw pictures of our minds or what was going on in it, they would understand that we, we have a lot of crap going on. Anybody agree with that? And we've had it before we ever drank, right? And alcohol relieved that. So we said, wow, this is great stuff. But in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses a special ability, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. Now remember, they worked with a lot of people who had hit what we would call low bottom. And they they, uh, alcohol took everything. And they still had their families left because the people didn't get divorced in those days. And um, the women didn't work. And so things were bad for families of alcoholics. And um, he's a fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated, all to sleep the clock around. Yet early next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house. To be certain, no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. Now, did anybody uh, conceal alcohol? Anybody do it? Anybody not? All right, so there's really only one question to know if somebody's an alcoholic. Ask them if they conceal the alcohol. It's a legal substance. Normal people don't hide it, right? But we, we would always have a stash. I remember when I got back from treatment, and all those bottles of Kahlua that were under the stairs—like 80 or 90 of these huge bottles—and I looked at that and I said, "You see, I should have had a picture then. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have to take. So cell- I didn't have a good cell phone then. I don't even know. I guess I did have one, but that would have been a good, good picture. And to put up right, right in front of the TV, right under there. So you, you can't, you can't deny it." Um, He begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves. Anybody need nerve quieting? quieting? Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. And that happens to all of us, right? Perhaps he goes to a doctor, gives him morphine or some sedative in which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. See, they didn't have treatment centers. And uh you know in those days they had no idea how many alcoholics there were in the world. They have you know it says nearby there may be hundreds of people in a city. you know they had no idea because uh, uh, but but people uh, would end up in uh, in uh, sanitariums or that were in jail or asylums. they had to lock alcoholics up because we were we were a danger to ourselves and um, this is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic. As our behavior patterns vary. But this description should identify him roughly. So if you can uh, identify with any of that, right? Now they're going to move on. Why does he behave like that? Isn't that a good question? Why do we behave like that? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle, debacle's not good, you know? with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why it is that it takes one drink. So now they're getting to the crux of the issue. We all know we have something wrong with our bodies and we can't change that, right? So why do we take the first drink? Why, with all its attending suffering and humiliation, and remember, they're gonna tell us in two pages that when we drink and take that first drink, we don't recall the suffering and humiliation because our mind tells us it's going to be OK. Anybody do that? You swore off at 9 o'clock, you're in the bar at 5 o'clock. It's insane. But when we do go to the bar or we get a drink, liquor store, we're only thinking about what it's going to do for us, not to us. So we can't recall the humiliation and suffering. We don't want to. We want a drink. Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of common sense and willpower? Well, we're insane, right? Willpower won't work, right? Because willpower only work if you can see the truth of something right before you do it. But right before we drink, we don't see the truth. We only see what it's gonna do for me, not what it has done to me. Then he still sometimes displays, sometimes, notice it says, sometimes displays with respect to other matters. Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably. as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. So there's a point at which we cross that invisible line where nothing can be done for us. And I don't know when that is in each person, but when by the time they get the AA, they've crossed it. I think very few people come to AA by mistake. Right, very few. Um, and it's a gift when they come here. We need to make sure they're welcome and try to help them understand, like the book does, what, what their problem is. We cannot answer the rival. We know that while alcohol alcoholic keeps away from drink as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men We are equally positive once he takes any alcohol, whatever in his system, something happens. So you may be okay, you may look normal to people if you don't have, if you're not drinking, but once you drink, something happens and the the causes in the bodily and mental sense makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. You have the phenomenon of craving and then you, uh, once you, uh, Craving, you keep wanting more, so it's you, a lot of times you can't get sober at all, right? Um, quit when you just can't drink anymore. Um, this experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. So, does everybody have this experience? Understand what they're saying? And everybody identify with this? Good. These, now, here's the key these observations would be academic mean they'd be only you know for scholarly debate and pointless if we never took the first drink thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion now when you take the first drink you're sober do you understand that so the disease of alcoholism occurs when you're sober now once you drink all the bad things that happen has to do with your your phenomenon of craving and the allergy of the body. But when you're sober, that's when the disease occurs, because that's what you're treating when you drink. You don't like being sober. If we could learn how to live sober without taking the first drink, we wouldn't need to do any of this. But we don't have any power to stay sober without taking the first drink because we're living on our power and not God's. You see the connection? Therefore the main problem the alcoholic centers in is mind. Anybody agree with that? Yes. That's why it says the only requirement for membership should be a desire to stop thinking. Because when we think we're in trouble. And why why is that? Because we think wrong. We think separated from God. We see things wrong. We have resentments and fears and we make bad decisions. So rather than his body, if you ask him why I started on that last bender, the chances are I will offer you only any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility I wrote to him. It may make sense at the time. Like Jim thought he could have whiskey with milk. It made sense, right? Uh, Fred had a perfect day. So I might as well have a drink. I had a great day, right? I need to, you know, makes sense, doesn't it? But none of them really makes sense in light of the havoc an alcoholics drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who having a headache beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. I think I understand that we have a headache. So we keep hitting ourselves to stop the headache. And we get worse. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, you will laugh at offer, become irritated and refuse to talk. And why is that? Because he doesn't want to admit that he has no defense against the first drink. He still wants to think that he can, he can lick this or he has a plan. It takes a lot. In fact, most alcoholics die because they can't give up on themselves, right? We're, we're an anomaly the people sitting in this room and on Zoom. Out there tonight are millions of people alcoholics drinking probably what 30 million in the united states or more think of that once in a while he may tell the truth i wrote whose truth and the truth strange to say and how do, how do we learn the truth in our four step we learn the truth of our thinking we learn that our thinking is not true our resentments aren't true right our fears aren't true And we we made decisions based on self and relationships that weren't true. And the truth is that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. And that's, you know, yes, somebody comes back, why'd you drink? Well, you know, they just don't know. It's just, because it just, your mind just tells you And you do it. It's not usually, but sometimes it's it's well thought out, but not consciously. People stop coming to the meeting. They'll stop calling you. They'll stop uh, praying. They start to slack off, and their mind's telling me, I ego's starting to take control, and they they and then they drink, and they can't see it. They'll say, why didn't you come Wednesday? Well, you know, I wanted to watch Big Bang. Or, you know, know, why didn't you call me? Well, you know, I had a busy day. You see what I mean? It doesn't, they're not desperate. They're not connected to their first step. And some drinkers have excuses which they are satisfied parts of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady, this illness has a real hold, they're baffled. It's baffling cunning, baffling, and powerful. Why can't we stop? Why can't I stop? There's the obsession. I'm not baffled anymore. I just know I, I have no power over alcohol. It's not baffling anymore. Now, why I have that, I understand that too. Because I live, se- live when I live separated from God, I have no power over alcohol and I live in self. All right. This is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And you see that. I hope I don't get that. I don't want to win. The, the winners lose here. The losers win. When you're humbled, you're exalted, right? Isn't that what Christ said? He, those who are humbled are exalted. and when we're, It's only by being humbled that we can find the relationship with God. And so, I don't want to beat the game and they often suspend, suspect they're down for the count, knocked out. And they and they and people just give up and they just drink and they think this is how it's going to go. Right? Some do. How true this is, few realize. And some people just realize they have no power over it and they give up. They just stop fighting it. They just drink and that's their lives. How true this is, few realize, in a vague way their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal. But everybody hopefully awaits the day, now listen to this, when the sufferer, that's the alcoholic, is going to rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. And that may be what some of the treatment centers are trying to do. Get out of your lethargy and understand yourself and be able to See your triggers so you can exert your willpower. But that won't work, right? We've gone through that tonight. And I wrote, intellect can't overcome emotions. right? And we drink because of our emotions. The tragic truth, the tragic truth, is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive because it's a fatal illness, right? He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, so he loses control, and then at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic in your drinking career, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of no avail. So you lose control, and then you lose choice. The most powerful desire to stop drinking is absolutely of no avail. And I know everybody in this room tried as hard as they could to not drink at one point, right? And the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. See, a lot of people come here, they don't understand what's wrong with them. Loss of choice, loss of control. Never gonna regain power over alcohol, right? Never gonna be able to manage my life. Now, here's the key paragraph in the book. It's in squiggly writing, which means it's really important And in the original big book, it was in capital letters. The fact is, that's the fact, is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. We've lost the power of choice in drink. We can't see the truth about alcohol before we drink it. We will never have the power of choice to drink. 90 meetings in 90 days won't give me the power of choice to drink. Being smart won't give me the power of choice to drink. In fact, I think it's harder to work with smart people. People who think they're smart. Uh, I was hard to work with. I think I thought I was smart. Now I know that I'm not that smart. In fact, I was wrong about everything. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent Now, they're too nice in this. What they really should say is you're screwed. You're never going to be able to not drink again. If you're an alcoholic, you will drink again. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent, and here it is. We are unable at certain times. Now, a lot of people read this, and they they say, well, I'm going to know when that certain time is. I'm going to watch, right? I'm going to watch for the certain times. But it says we're unable at certain times. That means at some time in the future there will be a point when I cannot bring it to my consciousness, into my mind, into my awareness with sufficient force the memory of the su- suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And I would say even of an hour ago or eight hours ago or ten minutes. There's going to be a time for all of us. There will be a time without working the steps and staying in relationship with God and staying in the world of the spirit when I won't be able to bring into consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering humiliation of a week. And that's why you want to stay connected to your first step. You never want to forget that moment of defeat. Does everybody remember that right now? Think about it. When you when your last time you drank and you and you came to your senses and how horrible it was. It's pretty bad, wasn't it? We don't want to forget that. That's why it's very important to do the first step 100% and to keep it alive all the time. And Father Leo said it so well, if you can get on XA Speakers and just in the, and go AA Speakers, and in that little box you put Father Leo B, he talks about we want to keep that moment alive And we do that by coming to meetings and saying we're alcoholic. By admitting every morning we pray, right? We ask God to direct our thinking. Why? Because we're alcoholic. We have no power to live without God. We have no power not to drink without God. We are without defense against the first drink forever. Now, it doesn't say, the fact is that most alcoholics, it doesn't say most non-recovering alcoholics, get it? It's all of us. And we've all lost the power choice to drink, and our willpower is completely non-existent. We are without defense against the first drink. I think that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? People need to know that. And it's amazing how many people I've seen through the years come here, they've been in treatment or something, and I ask them, well, why are you an alcoholic? And, and they can't really explain it, and they can't see this. But the book is so clear. That's why I think the book is so important to read with somebody. So I think we'll, uh, I, I think I'll read three more paragraphs. Is that okay? Is that okay? Good. Because then then we finish this. And then if you notice, if you look at your book, page 24 has, we've lost the power to Drake, right? In that paragraph, and look at the next page. It says there's a solution, you see it? They have, you have no defense against the first drink, and then on page 25, it's there's the solution. I don't know if they planned it that way, it's just the way God had it planned, the way the book went to the printer and the way they put it out. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. Or some people will say, and I've heard them tell me, well, you know, I was sober nine months, you know, so I could quit. I could quit again, I did it Mm -hmm. nine months, right? That may make some sense, right? No, it doesn't make any sense because you may not get back here. With the threadbare idea that we shall handle ourselves like other people, this is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Now, the reason that line is so important is that on page 84, when it talks about we're in the world of the spirit, and it says we have recovered, it says we can see alcohol as like putting my hand in a hot stove. In fact, I'll turn so I can read the exact line. So if you wanna get to the power to that point, it says we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, for by this time sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor, but if tempted, if I'm tempted, I'll recoil from it as a hot flame. And how do, why do I do that? Because it says in the next, at the end of the paragraph, I will react this way if I'm in fit spiritual condition. If I'm in a right relationship to God, when I think of alcohol, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. And then it says, uh, the alcoholic may say to himself, it won't burn me this time, so here's how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth pound of the bar and say to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? And really, it's not important why the person drinks again, their reasoning, it, they drink because they're alcoholics, and they don't have the spiritual relationship with God. They haven't worked the steps. They don't have the power in their lives. It says, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, now listen to this line, when the thinking that, you know, I can't see the consequences, or I might, you know, here's how, and what they, we just read, it says he has placed himself beyond human aid. Now think about that. I've placed myself beyond human aid. Now who put myself there? Notice, I placed myself beyond human aid. So I can't do it, the group can't do it. You can't do it for me. Now, the fellowship of people can become the flimsy reed of God, right? And then the flimsy reed of God will bring me to the steps, to the powerful hand of God. So we need human power to help me get to the solution. But on, on human aid, I will never have the power not to drink. And it's less locked up, my diet will go permanently insane. These starker, and now that we have drugs, and we have very few pure alcoholics anymore, you know the young people are not pure alcoholics. Uh, They die quicker. You know the drugs, things accelerate. They get out of control. Their lives get out of control very quickly, and so it's even worse disease now than it was then. These stark or ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. It's the grace of God that's worked in us that we're here today. So when people come to AA, they've been given a grace, we could call it a grace period or something. And then we have to uh, see if we can help them see the truth so they'll seek the situation. But the grace that God bringing us here will only last so long unless I start taking the action to allow him to work in my life. Because the grace of God can get me here, but then I can start running the show when I leave my first meeting. And then keep running it, and then he can't work in my life. So I think we'll stop there and then we'll, and so many want to stop but cannot. And who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program? those men and women who are constitutionally incapable of seeing the truth of all this. That there's no middle of the road solution, you either go in and die, or live a spiritual life. Because in, and the next uh, chapter in it says this is a disease that only a spiritual experience can conquer. No way out. All right, I went too long. So don't be mad at me. And we'll pick up on uh, 25 on Saturday. Thanks guys.